Well, good afternoon, everybody. How are we doing today? Great. Well, Merry Christmas Eve. Christmas Day is tomorrow. And is anybody else excited about that? I know that I am. It's going to be great. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us for our services this afternoon. If you are a first or a second time guest with us, then we just want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us today. You received a worship guide on your way in. It looks like this. Inside the worship guide is a connection card. If you would, if you would fill out that connection card and turn that in to us at the welcome desk in the middle of the lobby at the end of today's services, we would just like to thank you for joining us and give you a free first or second time gift just to thank you for being with us today. Uh, We want to let you know that if you brought the entire family, if you brought the kids, the little ones with you today, parents, we just want you to rest assured that today's service is family friendly. So all of the songs, everything that you're going to experience in this room is family friendly and they're going to enjoy the service as well. Speaking of the kids though, three years old and younger, we do have a special service that is happening next door for all of our two and three-year-olds. That's an environment designed specifically for them so that they can enjoy Christmas Eve at Springwell as well. If you are new and you have no idea how to get over there, what to do with that, then you can relax. We've got you. Our greeters in the lobby, you can find them wearing a lanyard or a name tag. They can help you find where you need to go and get them plugged into the service next door. All of our infants up to two years old, we have our nursery, which is just right on the other side of this brick wall. And we have some great folks that would love to look after the little ones while you guys enjoy the service today. So same thing, you can find one of our greeters in the lobby and they can help you find where you need to go and get them checked in so that you guys can sit back and relax and enjoy today's service. Sounds good? Awesome. All right, so one more thing, and this is gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, Everybody got a worship guide on your way in. However, there are five special worship guides because on the inside, in one of the top corners, five of you are going to find a gold foil sticker. If you happen to have a gold foil sticker on the inside of your worship guide, then you just won a $10 Starbucks gift card and you can pick that up in the lobby at the welcome desk. So if that's you, if that's your worship guide, hold it up so we can so we can see that. We've got one right here, one over here, one right there, number four. There should be a fifth one somewhere. Maybe, maybe. It still might be someone coming in. So let's give it up for at least those four guys. There's one more out there somewhere. So again, you can take your worship guide, show that sticker to our greeter at the welcome desk on your way out, and you'll get yourself a Starbucks gift card. Cool. Thank you guys again so much for joining us for Christmas Eve here at Springwell. Today, our service is called The Unexpected Story. And in just a moment, we're going to get started together. Thank you for being with us. Oh! 
everyone. Let's stand and sing some familiar Christmas carols this afternoon. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Certain for shepherds 
Thank you again for joining us today. You may be seated, and we are going to continue with our service called The Unexpected Story. Good afternoon, and welcome to Christmas Eve at Springwell Church. Life is full of unexpected stories. Many of us would never imagine we would travel the paths that, that brought us to this very moment. We have stories of pain and grief, stories of joy and excitement stories of lessons learned. We've all had things and people in our lives that caught us by surprise. Today, we're going to take a listen to some of those classic Christmas songs that we all know and love. But more importantly, we're going to take a look at the story, the surprising story behind those songs. Join us as we journey through the unexpected story in a song to the unexpected person who makes it all worthwhile. And now, the unexpected story. James S. Pierpont from Medford, Massachusetts was the author of our first Christmas song. The unexpected story behind this longtime holiday favorite begins when Pierpont's father, the pastor of the local church, gave him the task of writing special music for their Thanksgiving service. As James sat in his father's home, he watched through a window as young men rode their sleds down a hill. Pierpont stepped outside. And he thought of the many times he had raced sleds and began to root for the participants. As he stepped back into the house, a melody came to him. Pierpont put on his coat and trudged through the snow to the home of Mrs. Otis Waterman, a neighbor who owned the only piano in Medford. James taught his song to the church choir. The fully harmonized arrangement was then presented at the annual Thanksgiving service. Since Thanksgiving was the most important holiday in New England at the time, there was a large audience and the song went over so well that many of the church members asked James and the choir to perform it again at that year's Christmas service. Pierpont's song was published in 1857 under the name One Horse Open Sleigh. But today, we know it best as Jingle Bells. Sing through 
the snow In a one-horse open sleigh Over the fields we go Laughing all the way Bells on bobtails ring Making spirits bright What fun it is to ride and sing a sled song tonight Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells Jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in one horse open sleigh Jingle bells, jingle bells Jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in one horse open sleigh Giddy up now Sing through the snow In a one-horse open sleigh Over the fields we go Laughing all the way Bells on bobtails ring Making spirits bright What fun it is to ride and sing a sled song tonight Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells Jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh Jingle bells, jingle bells Jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh In Smithtown, New York, a teacher, Donald Yetter Gardner, and his wife were helping a group of second grade students compose a Christmas song. He simply asked them to complete this sentence. All I want for Christmas is... Their answers amused him as most of them were missing at least one, if not both, of their front teeth. Gardner went home and wrote his song in only 30 minutes. The year was 1944. And this is the song that made us all say, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth, my two front teeth, my two front teeth. Gee, if I could only have my two front teeth, and I could wish you Merry Christmas. It seems so long since I could say, Sister Susie sitting on a thistle God showed G how happy I'd be If I could only whistle All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth My two front teeth My two front teeth Gee, if I could only have my two front teeth Then I could wish you Merry Christmas oh. So long since I could say Sister Susie sitting on a thistle God showed G how happy I'd be 
If I could only whistle All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth My two front teeth My two front teeth If I could only have my two front teeth Then I could wish you Merry Christmas Sammy Kahn and Jules Stein joined forces in Hollywood, California, writing songs for movies. On one particularly warm summer day, Kahn suggested that they go work at the beach and enjoy the sun. Stein argued that it was much too hot for work, so as a compromise, they agreed that they could stay cool by writing a song about winter. Kahn looked out the window at the sun-baked landscape and whispered a phrase that launched the two into a conversation about growing up in parts of the world where it was common to be snowed in during the winter. Khan took these thoughts and transformed them into a mini-movie script about a man and a woman trapped by a winter storm and staying warm by a fire. The couple in the script found that they were simply too much in love to leave each other. It was 1945. And the song that has been established is one of the 10 most popular holiday songs. And the phrase Khan whispered is let it snow. The weather outside is frightful. But the fire is so delightful. And since we know place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping. And I brought some corn for coffee. The lights are turned away down low. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I hate going out in the storm. As long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow
33-year-old Dick Smith was afflicted by tuberculosis. On a depressing and cold afternoon, he pulled himself out of bed and watched some neighborhood children playing outside in the snow. Smith watched them play for an hour until the sun began to fade and the children went home. Watching them made him wish he could play in the snow just one more time. He sat at the table for the next few hours and wrote down his thoughts on the situation. What resulted was a poem that gave Smith a renewed will to fight for his life. He eventually became well enough to leave the treatment facility where he was staying. He took his lyrics to his friend and professional pianist, Felix Bernard, to help set his lyrics to a melody. It was in 1934, on a dreary winter day, that Dick Smith found hope in his desire to play once more in a winter wonderland. Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Gone away is a bluebird Here to stay is a new bird He sings a love song as we go along Walking in a winter wonderland In the meadow we can build a snowman And pretend that he is Carson Brown He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no man That you can do the job with Walking in a winter wonderland In the meadow we can build a snowman And pretend that he's a circus clown We'll have lots of fun with Mr. Snowman Until the other kids knock him down When it snows, ain't it thrilling? Though your nose gets chilling We'll frolic and play them away, walking in a winter wonderland. Isaac Watts was born in Southampton, England. Like most young people in his time, Isaac Watts found church music to be uninspired and boring. He saw no joy or emotion in what choirs and congregations were singing. Watts complained to his father about the music and the language, so his father challenged him to come up with something better. Watts took that challenge and wrote more than 600 hymns. It was while studying Psalm 98 that Isaac was inspired to write a simple four stanza poem. 44 years after Watts' death, Lowell Mason was born in Orange, New Jersey. He composed a new melody inspired by two songs from Handel's Messiah. Lift up your head and comfort ye. He titled his work Antioch, but the melody seemed to need some words. Three years later, Mason paired his work with Watts' lyrics, forming a song never really intended for Christmas at all. In 1839, Watts' poem inspired by Old Testament scripture and Mason's melody inspired by a British oratorio merged 
and somehow, mysteriously, became the popular Christmas song, Joy to the World. Twenty-five-year-old Joseph Moore, the assistant priest at St. Nicholas Church in Oberndorf, Austria, was making last-minute preparations for a special Christmas Eve service he had been planning for months. But as he cleaned and readied the sanctuary, the priest encountered a dilemma. The organ wouldn't play. Moore struggled with the old instrument for hours, but the organ remained silent. Realizing he could do nothing else, he asked God to show him a way to bring music to his congregation on the year's most meaningful day of worship. Moore found the answer in a Christmas poem he had written two years earlier. Digging it from his desk, he shoved the worn paper into his coat pocket and rushed out into the night. Moore fought his way through snow-covered streets to visit with 31-year-old school teacher Franz Gruber. 
After a quick Merry Christmas, the priest explained the situation and begged Gruber to come up with a melody for his poem. A few hours later, the two friends met at the church where Gruber shared his new music with Moore. The priest approved, and after learning the guitar chords, rushed it to the choir members who were waiting for their scheduled rehearsal. What should have taken weeks was accomplished in hours. Just after midnight, Moore and Gruber stood in front of the main altar and introduced this new, simple little song. The year was 1818, and the song that became the most recorded Christmas song, crossing languages, cultural lines, and even appearing during Christmas ceasefires and times of war, was the sweet poem Moore had titled, Silent Night.
Placide Capet, the commissioner of wines in a small French town, was more well known for his poetry than his church attendance. It probably shocked Capet when his parish priest asked him to write a poem for the Christmas service. Using the Gospel of Luke as his guide, he imagined witnessing the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, determined that his work was not just a poem, but a song in need of a master musician. He turned to one of his friends, Adolf Charles Adams, for help. Adams couldn't help but note the overtly spiritual lyrics embracing the birth, the birth of a savior. As a man of Jewish ancestry, these words represented a holiday he did not celebrate and a man he didn't view as the son of God. Nevertheless, moved by friendship, Adams quickly and diligently went to work attempting to marry an original score to Capet's beautiful words. Initially, their song was accepted by the church in France. But when Placide Capet walked away from the church and became part of the socialist movement, the church leaders then discovered that Adolf Adams was Jewish. And that was the end. The song was denounced by the church. However, despite their efforts, French people continued to sing the song. A decade later, an American writer John Sullivan Dwight brought it to a whole new audience halfway around the world. Not only did Dwight feel that this wonderful Christmas song needed to be introduced to America, he saw something else in the song that moved him beyond the story of the birth of Christ. As an ardent abolitionist, Dwight strongly identified with a particular set of lines in the song. Written in 1847, on Christmas Eve, 1906, Oh, Holy Night was the first song ever sent through the air via radio waves as 33-year-old Reginald Fessenden played it on his violin.
Within a year of moving to Massachusetts, Henry Longfellow's wife became ill. She died. Struck with grief, it took seven years before he recovered enough to remarry. Nearly 30 years after his first wife died, Longfellow's second wife's clothes caught fire while lighting a match. She burned to death. Then, before he could even finish his mourning, his faith was again challenged by the coming of the American Civil War. Longfellow hated the Civil War. An ardent believer in the power of God to move on earth, he pleaded with his Lord to end the madness of the war. When his oldest son, 19-year-old Charles, was wounded in battle and sent home to recover, the poet's prayers turned to rage. As Henry tended his son's injuries, he saw other wounded soldiers on Cambridge's streets and visited with families who had lost sons in battle. Amidst all this, he found himself asking his friends and his God, where is the peace? Then, picking up his pen and paper, he tried to answer that haunting question. Except for the deletion of the two verses that focused on the poet's view of the Civil War, the song remains the same today as when it was first published. That famous poem, written on December 25th, 1853, that has become a holiday classic, is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day.
Henry Longfellow wondered where the peace was. Where the peace was as he watched his world and then the world around him crumble. Many of us here were asking his same question. Where? Where is the peace? Today, we celebrate the unexpected story of the bringer of our peace, the savior of the world, the son of God himself, Jesus. He showed up over 2,000 years ago in an out-of-the-way animal stable, in a small town nobody paid attention to, out in the middle of nowhere. The world almost missed the arrival of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They almost missed it because he came in a way nobody expected. It was just another one of those things. Another one of those things that didn't happen didn't happen the way we thought it would. For many of us, Jesus, the bringer of peace, he enters our lives in very much the same way he was born. Right at the beginning of an unexpected story. I love how God uses uh, the unexpected to accomplish his purpose. And those stories, are, they're crazy, aren't they? Did you enjoy those stories? Uh, unexpected people in unexpected places, and then God used it. Sometimes there was great joy, and sometimes there was great pain. But God always showed up in the unexpected to do the most amazing things. Songs that we sing every Christmas. Now you know the story behind it. God also does that in the Bible. It's one of the reasons I love the Bible is because of the nature of God, of how he uses the unexpected to accomplish his purpose. He used a murdering, stuttering man named Moses to deliver his children out of Egyptian bondage. He took a little shepherd boy named David and he made him a king. God did the unexpected in Numbers 22 and he spoke through Balaam's donkey just messing with y'all a little bit. Some of y'all been in church, y'all know. Y'all with me? This is donkey. In the New Testament, Jesus took 12 ordinary men, called them disciples, and used them to change the world. I love, I love how God shows up in the unexpected to accomplish his purpose. And he did the very same thing with his birth. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah 9 says it like this. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government, wow, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so 
And so these folks, when you're looking for a savior, they were looking for someone whose shoulders would rest the government, right? So they would have been looking for a savior. They would have been looking for a king. They would have been looking for somebody that was large and in charge, somebody with charisma. I think it makes perfect sense what they were looking for. Then in John chapter 7, verse 42, it says, For the Scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of a royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So they were looking for a king to be from the royal bloodline of David, born in the same town as David. That's what they expected. But what they got was a babe born in Bethlehem with parents from the bloodline of David, but an earthly mom and an earthly dad that were from this little obscure nothing village called Nazareth. So what's the big deal about being from Nazareth, you might think, right? Well, about 30 years after the birth of Jesus, when when Philip went to tell his buddy Nathaniel about finding the Messiah, here's what he said. He said, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law. And about whom the prophets also wrote, this Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And and it's almost like he's saying, if you break this down in the original language, it's almost like saying, you're never going to believe this, but this, this one that we found to be the Messiah, and we're convinced that he is the Messiah. There's no doubt about that, but you won't believe this. He's Joseph's son. You know, Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathaniel must have really been surprised because here's how he responds. He says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And you might be wondering why he was so skeptical. He was skeptical because it was such a small little village with a population of of maybe only 200. And most people felt like even to say it was 200 would have been to say that it was overpopulated. It It was scarce water. Drinking water was scarce. Fertile soil was hard to be found. It was a place of of relative poverty. It was a place that was full of sickness and disease and death. You didn't want to be from Nazareth. And there's, there's no prophecy linking the Messiah with Nazareth. It's not known for great minds or great heroes. Nothing special was ever expected to come from Nazareth, certainly not the Messiah. So now you can understand. You would understand why Nathaniel might ask, Nazareth? Can anything really good come from Nazareth? So are you keeping up? They would have been looking for a king, somebody from the bloodline of old King David, but their mama and daddy were actually from Nazareth, so we've got a problem. What are you going to do? Don't worry. Don't worry. Luke chapter 2 gives us the answer, right? Here's what it says. At the time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. And this was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, not married yet, a long engagement, and was now expecting, who was now expecting a child. So problem solved, right? Problem solved, they were in Nazareth, but now we're going to get them to to Bethlehem. We're going to get them to where they're supposed to be. Problem solved. Well, well, kind of. 
it's kind of solved. Joseph has now got to look at his girlfriend who's nine months pregnant, and he's got to look at her and say, so if you were like, if we were from Taylor's, if you're from Greer, it would kind of be like you sitting down with your pregnant girlfriend, nine months pregnant, saying, baby, we got to go to Charlotte on a donkey. Mm. So I'm just saying, and did I mention, did I mention that, that Mary is only 16 years old? Some believe, boy, we got to be careful here. Some believe she might have even been younger than 16. So it sounds kind of crazy, very unexpected. I mean, so God picks a really unexpected woman, a very young woman from a nobody kind of town like Nazareth. And he says, you're the one that's going to bring my child, give birth to my one and only son who will save the world from their sin. Let's read on. It's got to get a little easier from here, right? While they were there, time came for her to be, her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And you is this how you would expect for a king to be born? It, it, it's totally unexpected, right? I mean, you would think, you would think, God, I mean, have you been paying attention? Were you watching? I mean, I know you let her get nine months, and suddenly then you decide you want to move her from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I mean, like you waited a long time, and then when they get there, you didn't even provide a, a place. And so now, now literally, the, the Son of God, I mean, the King of Kings, is, is, is going to be given birth to, is going to be laid in a feed trough? I mean, come on. Totally unexpected. But it's got to get better. The story's got to get better, right? <clears throat> that night there were shepherds staying out in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. And you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And I would say that it would just be totally unexpected that the announcement of the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Savior of the world, really, first, it's going to come to the lowest of the low? I mean, I mean, you really, you would think that, that it would be the kings that would be the first to get the news. It would be the most prominent religious leaders of the day. They would be the first to get the news, right? You would make, want to share all the, you would make sure that all the rabbis knew, that all the high priests knew. You would want to make sure that all the, the big shots knew. And yet, the message comes first to the most unlikely group of people. You just wouldn't have expected it to happen that way. Sometimes God uses the unexpected to accomplish His purpose and that purpose of displaying His great love to people. And sometimes He uses great joy. And sometimes He uses great pain. Just like He did with Henry Longfellow. Sometimes, it's through great loss. The truth is, is that many of us this afternoon are uh, 
are facing things that we didn't expect would happen this year. Someone's going to be missing at the Christmas table this year. There's going to be that empty chair. And it's going to bring pain. It's going to bring hurt. Or maybe things just didn't turn out the way that you planned for them to this year. This afternoon, God brought you here to show you that He is in the unexpected. That He loves you. That He's crazy about you. That He sent His Son to display that love. And no matter what you go through, you never go through it alone. Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you can look back over the evidence of where God has used the unexpected to draw you to Himself. Honestly, for you to be here tonight, maybe it would be kind of unexpected. Maybe it was a neighbor that kept bugging you and inviting you. Maybe it was somebody that you worked with. Maybe it was a last-minute decision that you just thought that you would show up. You had no earthly idea, but now that you look back, all of these unexpected events have brought you to here to this moment so that you can hear the story of God's great love for you. He's crazy about you. Absolutely crazy about you. God sent His Son. We're celebrating the birth of that Son. And Jesus was more than a baby in a manger. He went to the cross. And on the cross, He died. He shed His blood to pay the penalty for our sin. And even at the birth, celebrating the birth of Jesus, we also have to celebrate the death and the resurrection. And He's alive. If you're here tonight and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus, and you'd like to, and every head is bowed and every eye is closed, no one's looking around. If that's you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you'd like to be, then maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe you just want to whisper to him, Jesus, I can feel your presence right now, right here. I know that you're with me. And I just want to ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I want you to be my Savior. I want to spend the rest of my life following you. So to the best of my ability, I completely and totally surrender my life to you. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for your presence. In the sweet name of Jesus that we pray.